0: So, Kevin Youngblood, thanks for being here. Tell us your life story. How's oh that my, for broad? How, how, much, how much time you got, man? <laughs> Whatever you want to give us. Preacher's, <laughs> preacher's son.
1: <laughs> you know, when you get to 58, you want to you give anybody a drink out of a fire hose. But uh, a yeah. uh, short version. Uh, born and raised Northeast Georgia. Uh, I traced my family back to 1739 uh, to the hills of North Georgia. Uh, most of them farm laborers. My granddad, uh, third grade education. Uh, he was a minister and an entrepreneur, and I think that's where I got the bug. Uh, he actually died in church. Uh, oh, my! Wow. Oh, yeah. I called on somebody to pray and uh, died right there. Uh, we jokingly said he was in the express lane for heaven, you know, in church. Uh, I mean, my, he's going to die anywhere, that's probably the best place for to a, die. For a pastor, you know. Uh, My dad uh, has been in the ministry for 60 years. Uh, At the age of 80, he is Mm. preaching somewhere three Sundays a month. Wow. Uh, Just incredible. He's the most consistent Christian I've ever met in my life. He's an incredible, incredible guy. Uh, My dad had four sisters, three of them married preachers. And so everybody just assumed I was going to go in the family business. I was going to say, what happened to you? Well, (laughs) well, I, I I went the other way. I joined the Marine Corps. So I learned a whole different set of language skills, you know. Uh, but everybody thought I was going to go in, the, in ministry, and I've been more than willing to. I've, I've done a lot in ministry. But I found I was gifted with teaching, and mm-hmm. so that's what I did. Yeah.
0: So northeast Georgia, going to the military. Did you say Marines? Marines, Marine, yeah. 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 Um, great story, just as an aside, uh, talking about Marines. Sure. Uh, First time I ever met John McCain, he was running for the, he was a congressman, he was running for the Senate, it was 1986. He came to Sholo, where I grew up, um, for the 4th of July festivities, we're at the Pancake Breakfast, either American Legion or VFW, I don't remember which it was. And he does his thing, and there are people pretty skeptical, you know, he's not an Arizonan, he, and, you know, these deep Arizona roots in the White Mountains. And, um, but by the end of it, he's got them all. Eating right out of his hand, and a guy comes up to him afterwards and says, "The only problem with you, McCain, is that you're a, a Navy guy. <laughs> Should have been a Marine." He's like, "Well, look, I tried to get in the Marines, but they wouldn't let me." He's like, "What?" He's like, "They found out my parents were married." <laughs> 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 the place just went nuts. I mean, the, John McCain was was a phenomenal politician. He was a. Phenom- phenomenal person, but he was the best retail politician that I'd ever, ever watched. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But,
1: well, I jokingly, but I jokingly tell people Marine stands for muscles are required, intelligence, not essential. <laughs> <laughs> That's great.
0: So after the Marines, what happened?
1: I went into teaching. Uh, I was a history teacher. And so I did that for, uh, uh five years. I uh, mm-hmm. didn't make any money and, uh, figured out, um, you know, I want to go into business a little bit. Uh, But I sat down at the age of 37 uh, and got this idea of a software that could diagnose where kids had learning difficulties and then to prescribe content that would match where they were. What do they know? What do they not know? And so I literally sat down at a Waffle House, pulled out a napkin, uh, and drew out the business idea on that napkin. And it became the company and the product Odysseyware. And uh, grew Waffle House. Waffle House. You, see, you, you hear
2: House. about the napkin at the bar. But in right. this is no, Waffle, Waffle
1: House. House. It's George better. <laughs> you, you got to, man. <laughs> you, you've had the, the hash brown scraped off the floor and yeah. all that stuff in it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, fast forward to today, and you're doing amazing work here at Canyon Ventures. Tell us about what you're doing and how you got involved and where you see this going.
1: Yeah. Great question. Uh, okay. We built Odyssey see where I started in 2001. Uh, and if you want to dig into that at any point, let me know. But, uh, I started with an idea and how do we sell an idea before you have a product? How do you sell that? And so I used a letter of intent and went out and got letters of intent and, uh, mm. built, built the company. Um, And uh, we built it for 15 years. We sold it in uh, January of 2016 uh, to a venture fund. And then uh, I had been volunteering at Arizona State University uh, for their Center for Entrepreneurship. I was on the board over there. And uh, my kid, my youngest kid, was working on a finance degree at the W.P. Carey uh, School. And so I was just hanging out over there. And then uh, two years ago, uh, Randy Gibb, the dean of the business school here at GCU, Uh, he said, hey, I got an idea Uh, and you're the right guy for it. I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. Mm. So uh, I met him over here in this old swap meet building and uh, that GCU had taken over and he said, we want to put an innovation center in here and I was like, what the heck is that? You know, I mean, everybody everybody talks about innovation, but who's really executing on it, you know? And he said, no, really, we've we've got an idea and the theory is this, we want to have businesses from the West Valley apply. If we accept them, we're gonna give them free rent. And I was like, now that's attractive. Because for a startup, that's a, that's a huge, that, that moves the needle. So we'll give them free rent, but what we ask them to do is to hire GCU students. And so what attracted me to the thing, Sean, was the idea of getting a pipeline of the best and brightest off that campus bringing them over here. Over there, they're learning the theory of business. They're learning and they're being surrounded by some really good mentors and teachers. And and the, the educational quality is solid. What I wanted to do is bring them over here and actually baptize them. Use a, a ministry term there. Baptize them into business. Get them on the phones. Let them start talking to customers and engage in that conversation. And you actually learn by doing. And you know, you guys know you've been yep. very successful in your life. You learn so much by actually rolling up your sleeves and getting in there and doing it. That's fantastic. So real quick, can I just have you find just a little bit more in front of you? It, it just, yeah, there we go. All right. Did it work? Yeah. Thank you.
0: So what's your what's the vision? You have you started with what, four students, I think, in the Sales part of this, yeah, you're yeah, now yeah, 21. yeah.
1: So, so, uh, it, So, how that got started is in in this very room right here. Uh, when Robert and I, Robert Bear is the director here. I tell people I'm the Robin to his Batman. He's the he's the guy <laughs> that runs this thing and makes sure that everything's lined up and all the everything. And I'm the coach. And so we got all the entrepreneurs in this room, and they were like twenty something entrepreneurs. And I went around the room and I said, uh, "So, what's your value proposition? Give yep. me your elevator pitch. Why, you know, what's the problem you think you're trying to solve? What makes you think you can solve it? You know, how are you going to grow this thing?" Every one of them, when I got to that question, how are you going to grow it? They landed on, we're going to raise capital. Now, you guys know I'm old school. And so I just said, listen, have you ever thought about it? It's probably never been done before. <laughs> but have you ever thought about selling your product to customers to generate capital? No, they never thought of that. <laughs> so basic, right? <laughs> and I was, I was like, okay, so that's where we're going to start. So I just said, starting tomorrow, we're gonna to start having sales classes right here in the room. One of the first questions that came up was, what do you, how do you sell a product if you don't have a product? How do you sell an idea? So I pulled out a letter of intent, yeah. and I said, here's what you do. You sit down with them and say, listen, I don't have a product yet. When I get it, it's gonna blow your mind. But to make sure that I'm building exactly what you need, could I have a conversation with you about what your needs are? And so in the case of Odyssey where, Mr. Superintendent, hypothetically, if I could build a product that did A, is that something that would be valuable to you? If I could do B, if I could do C, yeah, great, great, that's looking good. All right, the cost of that is probably going to be $50,000, and that's where you'd get the gulp, you know? And it was an easy sell in education because I was e- I was able to say, if I'm able to keep a kid from dropping out of school, your school district's going to get five thousand dollars from the state plus whatever federal monies. So if fifty thousand, all I have to do is help you keep ten kids from dropping right. out of school, and this program pays for itself. Now, where are you going to find a product that actually pays for itself? And that was the sales pitch. So I started training them on that. Well, then COVID comes along. And I realized, and Robert and I had several conversations, with COVID, if we don't accelerate those sales conversations, these businesses are going to go poof in the night. They're going to just disappear. So we've got to drive those conversations. Many of these founders, you're going to have founders that are operations people or they're product people or they're finance people or they're subject matter experts. They're not naturally salespeople. So their natural inclination is not to reach over and pick the phone up. Right. So we got to drive those conversations. So we got this crazy idea. What if we took students and graduates and we put them on the phone and had them contract with these businesses to start driving revenue? And so we started with three. We're up to 21, 21 over there now, and they're pounding the phones. And they're basically driving the revenue. We can quantify since May the 28th of last year and the end of December, we added $20 million to the top of the funnel. Oh, wow. For some of the largest companies in the world. That's amazing. Yeah. And those kids are getting some seriously good training. It's incredible. We're calling it finishing school. (laughs) Yeah. They learn the theory of business and then you come over here and you actually do it.
0: So. Yeah, and I, I love that concept. I, I was a broadcasting major and a political science minor, and I remember taking classes in political science at the same time I was running a congressional campaign or had run one by that time. And it was just very interesting to see how different theory was versus the practice. Mm-hmm. And so I was very grateful that I'd had the opportunity to be in a campaign while getting my minor in political science, but it made me realize... the campaign is what taught me everything I needed to know about moving forward in the field.
1: Yeah. One of the things we, we won't jump on a soapbox uh, too early in this thing, but one of the things we're missing in America is the apprenticeship program. And it's where you stand alongside a professional and you learn that craft by watching and doing, you know, there's a four step process that you can teach anything to anybody. You know, when I was in the Marine Corps, they taught us how to fire a rifle and hit a target 500 yards away. I can teach anybody how to do that. Four-step process. The part of that is the modeling part. It's where you... I, I teach it to you. I test you on it. Now I'm going to show you how it works. Now you show me. And then the last step, the crowning part, is where then that person then teaches someone else. Right. And we're missing that in education. And so what you learned on that congressional campaign was invaluable. You can't learn that out of a textbook. You can't learn it on an online course. You
0: exactly. Know. So you... You mentioned Dick Army. Talk to us about Dick Army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, a college. With I was <laughs> a
1: college kid. And in uh, 1984, I went to hear this professor of economics from the University of North Texas. Understanding my background was in ministry, and everything in my life was bent toward that, you know, angling toward that. And I went and heard this guy. And, man, he made perfect sense. I mean, it was like everything he talked about, the free enterprise system, And the faith component, the element of taking risk and the element of doing something to serve other people and doing something that thinks long term, you're not doing it for immediate gratification, you're doing it for the next generation or whatever else. The more he talked, I was like, man, that's straight out of the Bible. That is that's a thoroughly biblical approach, you know, to being successful in uh, uh, in economics, free enterprise. So I jumped on his campaign. I was on the original campaign 1984. Some of those early guys, man, I, I still have, they, we, we text each other. We call each other. It's a great thing. One of them was my college roommate. He's a pastor of a church in Denton, Texas now. And, uh, just, just incredible relationships. But we would sit there till three or four o'clock in the morning and Dick would be holding court, you know, with all of us college kids.
0: Oh, yeah. It was, element, right? it was his was element, right? It was his element. He's a professor.
1: So we're sitting there and he's just talking about life. In one minute he's riffing on NATO. The next thing he's riffing on nuclear disarmament. The next thing he's riffing on the Middle East, you know, and I'm sucking it all in. He was the guy that got me hooked on reading books. He got me into started reading conservative books. Well, first book was his his economics textbook, which was I've still got his signed copy awesome. in my library. Uh, and of course it was boring as heck because (laughs) it was economics, M1 money flow, M2 and all this stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know? Uh, but he got me connect, hooked into reading and connected to some really good thinkers. Uh, and it changed my life. Yeah.
0: What, uh. Well, I was going to say, what did you? How did you work? Just the first campaign, and then first campaign, and then moved on. Yeah, yeah. I mar-
1: I got married in nineteen eighty five. Uh, married my college uh, sweetheart. We've been married thirty five years now. Congratulations! That's and great. Uh, yeah, I when I married her, I outpunted my coverage. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I can relate.
0: Um, the uh, the first time I met Dick Army was he came to Phoenix to. Uh, To do a campaign event for john shattuck who was who had won the republican nomination that was the race i was working on and this was 1994 so there was a feeling of you know excitement and but all these guys were running for leadership positions um and so they were going around the country you know passing out checks doing fundraisers to garner support for for the members who because shattuck was going to win that Mm -hmm. general the district was very republican and uh, I mean I was just fascinated by him uh, tall, imposing figure, gravelly voice um, but super friendly yeah oh, was well, just amazing very
2: self-effacing. I remember meeting him at an event down in Tucson and uh, just even to make fun of himself just yeah. in terms of where he came from and, and, and his background and, and but but brilliant on the on the issues brilliant on the
0: yeah. I thought he did a great job as a uh, majority leader. Um, he had a lot to
1: deal with with Newt as speaker. He did, and, and <laughs> some of his lieutenants. Yeah. Uh, some of them came on later and did some things, yeah. Yeah, it was
0: the, those mid-'90s Congress. Was, uh, it, I'm sure there have been books written about it, but there should be there there should, should be, be some more. more. Maybe some you more. should write one. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's I, 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 I used to think that, Well, why would I write about something that's so recent? But it's it's been a little—it's been a little time now. (laughs) It's it's history now, right?
2: So it's it's funny because when you encounter staffers who were around that time, they have they have really strong opinions about Newt Gingrich. Negative or positive? Yeah, I mean, super strong.
0: Mine
1: are generally negative about that time. (laughs) And what? Mine are generally negative. Yeah. He was incredibly smart, yes. uh, and the problem was he, he thought he was the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. And if you are if you think you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So. That's no question.
1: Well, it was interesting. It, nobody really, I don't know
0: that it, it was ever talked about, but you had the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader, the top two guys in leadership in the Republican Conference were both
1: professors. Mm-hmm. That's right. No. Isn't
0: that interesting? I mean, it's they weren't lawyers, they weren't, you know, former legislators. They were professors, and then yeah. you had Tom Delay. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah, Delay. Was, <laughs> um, and then there was, was Tom Delay. Was he the? Like, he was the first Whip. Yeah, it was. It was Gingrich and Army and Delay. Yeah. So you had the Georgian and two Texans. So it was fascinating times. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about
2: your, we've talked a little bit about, about faith and faith in business and teaching these kids how to, how to be in business and still be exercising their faith. Mm-hmm. That seems to be really an undercurrent of what's going on over there at, at Branch 49 and, and Youngblood Works and, and in general. So the, the idea isn't just, Hey, let's, we're going to teach you about business. Anybody can teach you about business, but we're not, we're going to teach you not only how to be successful, but actually how to live out your faith in a, in a way that's meaningful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from a, that's a new idea. No. Yeah. Well, from a big, from a big picture, uh, there is a God and you're not him. And there is a sense of humility and vulnerability you have to have to be successful in anything in life and when you realize that you didn't create this world that there was that there's a power out there that somebody a lot smarter and a lot more powerful than me put this thing together the evidence is everywhere you can't ignore it we start every day realizing that god owns everything Hmm. there's several businesses with my name attached to them i don't own a thing Now, believe it or not, that actually makes for a simple life. If I owned all the, if I owned a bunch of stuff, I'd have to keep track of it. I'd have to, I'd be worried. Somebody's going to steal it. I'd be, you know, God owns everything. So you start with that and it creates a genuine gratefulness. You know, let's be totally brutally honest here. I'm a very unlikely entrepreneur. I don't have a business degree. I don't know finance. If you want to bore me to death, give me a spreadsheet. I grew up in poverty. Uh, Appalachia. My great grandfather could not read, could not write. It says it on the census documents. My grandfather, third grade education. So. I didn't get to where I'm at by myself. I think it was Dick army used to say, and I mean, he may have quoted somebody else that said, if you find a turtle on top of a post, you have to realize he didn't get there by himself. (laughs) And you know, and that's me. I, I didn't get here by myself. I've had incredible people who were kind to me, who were gentle to me. Most of them were teachers and coaches, which is why I became a teacher and a coach. And so we tend to pass that along, but we start every day thinking that God's in control. He owns it all. And I'm merely a steward of his resources. How do I get resources in the right hands to make the greatest impact? Uh, when we sold Odysseyware, Mm -hmm. I was able to give away in one day more money than my dad earned in his lifetime. Wow. And I cried like a baby that Mm -hmm. the God of the universe would trust a country boy like me out of North Georgia. It was like he said, I'm gonna help that one out a little bit. He needs some help down there. And so to be able to be a part of that was incredible. And so one of the things we try to teach these kids is generosity doesn't begin after a hundred million dollar exit. Your generosity is a muscle. You gotta exercise it every day. And it starts with genuine gratitude. If you go back in the DNA, of a marriage that goes wrong or a business that goes wrong or a nonprofit or a political party or whatever else Hmm. go back to the DNA. And in those beginning stages of where it started to go wrong is they lost gratefulness.
0: Absolutely. I could not agree. more. That that is an amazing
2: statement and absolutely
0: true. I mean, I, I, I feel particularly, I mean that that's been a theme throughout my life is, is gratitude um so much so that i actually tattooed it on my look at you man i had no idea that's great
1: that's
0: great Um, because it means it is everything i mean i i I really believe that gratitude is the is the beginning of anything that is good and useful it's the beginning of love it's the beginning of success it's the beginning of growth i mean you you just have to be grateful that we're breathing you know um and that is something you know that's a, a practice i do every day i and it's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I go through
1: a gratitude practice. I love it. I had no idea. Les Brown used to say, any day you wake up and there's not a white chalk outline around your body, it's a wonderful day. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you, you got to start with gratitude, man. Exactly.
0: What What would you say is one of the – I mean, obviously you, you, you touched on the – the importance of, you know, God owning all and, and just being a steward. How do you pass that that vision and motivation on to others? What's, the, what's been the, the best way for you as you've seen the results of your work?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, two or three things I'll throw out and then if you dig further. First thing is every moment is a teachable moment. So when we started giving money away through the years, my wife and I have been consistent givers because of our faith. It's been a we, we we practice a tithe and offering and gift and one of the things we did early on is we involve our kids. And so even today, as all three of our kids are adults, they're grown. Two of them are married. Uh, we involve them in our giving decisions, and so we will meet at Christmas time. And we'll say, all right, we've been giving throughout the year, but we've saved a little pot of money over here. And we want you guys to decide where this money goes. We want you to decide what ministry nonprofit could benefit. We want you to decide how much to give them. Your mom and I are going to take some time off. We're going to come back and you are, we're going to ask you to justify to us why you're making that investment with that money. Hmm. And so we use it as a teachable moment. When you're to teach giving, you've got to involve people. You got to get them close to you. So for example, I try to ex- explain to these kids and any kids I'm around, if you're going to change a tire, don't change it by yourself. Go get somebody. If you're going to replace a water heater, don't do it yourself. Go find somebody. Every moment is a teachable moment. And so it's a chance for you to pass values down. So much of what we do in America is isolated. You mm. do it by yourself.
0: That's so true. So true. That, that's a fascinating. And it actually makes me start to think about things that, that I do in my life and in work that I need to have a buddy
1: to, to pass that on. I, I, love, I love that concept. Well, I'll just drop a word here, and this might get me in trouble with some of your audience. Uh, this is one of the problems with the rugged individualism that has been the backbone of America and been the backbone of a lot of political... Uh, things going on. None of us got here by ourselves, yeah. And so do it in a group, reach out and grab somebody, do life with them and pass yeah. on that knowledge. And more importantly, listen, we talk about sales. For example, uh, I have so many people say, Hey, I want you to meet my cousin. He'd be an incredible in sales. And I'm like, okay, what makes you think he'd be good at sales? Oh, he can talk his way out of anything. I'm like, he'd be terrible at sales <laughs> because sales is all about listening. Yeah. It's all about because if the if you're doing most of the talking, you're losing. Yep. If the customer's doing most of the talking, you're probably winning. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's exactly y- y- right. Y- y- Your whole deal with sales is just to ask questions. That's right. Just uncover and uncover and uncover.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, do you find it's hard for? These kids, the other thing about sales is relationships. Oh, yeah. Those relationships. And with the, the tell model, that's so much harder. And so you get face-to-face with them and really understand what's important to them. How do you bridge that in, 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 those, in those moments?
1: Yeah, well, there's obviously stages to sales. There's yeah. the top of the funnel where you're driving those initial conversations. Basically, let's build trust, credibility, and interest right out of the gate to justify a deeper conversation. That's the purpose of it but you have to, in fact, I'll just tell you a quick story. Uh, and there's a lot of people that, that brought a, a CEO in, a former CEO. He wanted to come by and see what we were doing. And he is part of this new culture that it's all about digital. It's all about digital. We don't need relationships and stuff. And he came in and he saw what we were doing and he says, I don't think it's going to work. And I was like, okay, Do you mind sharing with me why you don't think it's going to work? Oh, they're developing technology right now with AI and machine learning. Sales is going to go away. And I patted him on the head and (laughs) and I was just like, you know, Hey man, thanks for dropping by. And after he left, I turned to what, to my co-founder and I just said, okay, just for clarification, he said sales is not going to work. Is that why he's no longer the CEO of the company that he founded? Somebody else is the CEO now. Yeah, that's exactly why, because he didn't believe in sales. So it is very difficult, uh, but you still it comes down to relationships. It comes down to conversations. Sales is a conversation centered around solving a problem. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's a great point. What's been what's been your your biggest hardship that you've had to overcome in business? Or personal, whatever it is, education.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The biggest thing for me was um, I grew up in a very, it is a very great theological background, but the thought process was that money was the root of all evil. Now, if you go into Scripture, that's not what Scripture says. Right. It says it's the love, love of, of money. money. That's yeah. the, my wife actually thinks it's the lack of money. That's the root of all evil. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But
0: well, it could be, there's some evil in the lack of money. There's some evil there.
1: <laughs> what the biggest mental change for me was I didn't come from wealth. I didn't come from means. And so I had to come to a realization that money in itself is not good or bad. It's what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And so I came to see that money could do some very powerful and important things. And it's played out in our and the way we give and the things we invest in, uh, but that has been the biggest hurdle for me.
0: Hmm.
2: And, and how? I mean, with, with with your success over the last, you know, over a decade, and well, you sold in 2016. So the last the last several years, and, and 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 now you're trying to teach your kids. It's about about generosity
1: how do you how do you teach these kids who come from so many different backgrounds well just a bit when I say I involve my kids I'm yeah. involved in other people's kids too sure. I'm like if I'm gonna teach something you know I'm 58 I don't know how many more years I'm gonna have to invest so rather than talking to an audience of three let's make it 30 yeah you know what I'm saying so I'll just grab hey hey I'm meeting with my kids over here we're doing something you know, and I bring them in feed them pizza and it's all a teachable moment kind of thing. If you provide food, kids will show up, <laughs> especially sure. college kids, man. <laughs> so bring them in and use the opportunity. So, um, I just try to pass them, you know, pass down. If you walk into my office now, there are two artifacts, if you will, that are hanging on the wall of my office. The first is a set of boxing gloves. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it goes, it has an, my, an Odyssey wear logo stamped on the boxing gloves. And when I first started with Odyssey wear, I would, when I would find a leader, an influencer, I would send them a pair of boxing gloves along with a little note that said, we want to be in your corner. And to this day, 20 years later, I still get phone calls, you're the dude with the boxing gloves, you know? <laughs> it, made a, it made a memory. I use that artifact to teach entrepreneurs about tenacity. Hmm. I'm not the best looking guy. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not, I don't come from a a background of wealth and means and everything else. If you defined what would be the DNA of my success, it would be, I just never quit. Just never quit. I, you know, we, we never lost a football game in high school. We just ran out of time. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and that's the way, that's the way I am about life. I just never going to quit. But the other artifact is I have a painting of the widow and the two mites, the story in scripture where Jesus is talking and he notices this widow woman who throws in two mites, very small amount of money. And these Pharisee business guys are standing there and he says, she is giving more than they gave. And the disciples are, how did they do that? He said, because she's giving of her living. It cost her something. Those guys, it was throw away. So those are the two artifacts in my office. So again, teachable moments. I try to structure everything. How can I pass that knowledge along?
0: That's fantastic.
2: I um, mean, mm. it seems like you're what you're really trying to teach is surrender. Mm. Is this idea mm. that that which is so hard with young people? So certainly, I didn't understand it until um, or start understanding until my father passed away. Mm. That this idea that that you you're not in control. Mm. As much as you try to control everything around you and your circumstances and everything else, it's not—it's not yours. Mm-hmm. And um, you can go from success to significance, as Bob Buford has said. Mm-hmm. But really, the key is surrender. Mm-hmm. How do you finally get to a place of surrender where you have teachable moments? There are no coincidences; mm-hmm. there are only divine appointments. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that everything is, is acted out in faith. That's to me, the,
1: the big challenge. Yeah. It goes back to one of the original things we said in this conversation, and that is there is a God, you're not him. And if you understand that this whole surrender thing, giving up to, you know, when you realize there is a God, it makes a whole lot of life line up and make sense. If you still think that you're God or you're in complete control, life's going to teach you a few lessons. You're gonna learn some stuff the hard way. It's gonna to be tough, you know? or or that you can meet God on your terms, yeah. or
2: you need God when you need God. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's that's usually you know how people kind of activate their faith when it's convenient. Yeah, yeah. or or when or, or, they're, or they're desperate, or, or you know in times of desperation. It, you know, it may or have or been pain. it
1: may have been Dick that said this, but it was a guy that told me he said if you're gonna be stupid, you better be tough yeah you know, so <laughs> that's something Dick would have said well, you have an interesting story about Dick and how he came to faith, yeah, 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 which, is, uh, which is great. He got on an airplane, and he was telling me the story after he was House Majority Leader, uh, I was in d c and he, man, he had a gorgeous office. He was up in the Capitol rotunda, oh, yeah. and he looked out over the mall. It was great, and uh, here he put his boots up on the desk, and we're just talking, and he said, Kevin. He said, I got on an airplane and I pulled open a file folder and in there was an agenda. He said, I didn't even know where I was going. I didn't know who I was going to be speaking to, but here's the agenda and my staff had laid it all out. Here's your, here's your flight. You're going to land here. This person's going to pick you up. You're going to take you to this speech, then this speech, and then you got this luncheon and you've got all these things spelled out. And he said, then I sat there and thought about it a little bit more. And he said, There's a pilot up there in the cockpit. I've never met that pilot, but that that pilot, I'm trusting them that they know how to fly this plane. I'm trusting the mechanic that they did everything that they needed to do. I'm trusting these flight attendants would know exactly what's got to happen so they can execute this plan. He said, the more I thought about it, I had placed my faith in a lot of different people just for me to get on this airplane. And as a professor, it was hard for me to deal with faith. I was always dealing with re- with science and technology and, and those facts. But the exercise of faith was a little difficult. But it dawned on me sitting on that airplane that that's what faith in Christ is all about. Mm-hmm. I've never met him. I've never seen him. But I trust him.
0: That's so fascinating. That's a great story. It's a great story. God bless Dick Army. Yeah. What uh, – what advice would you give, or maybe you do this? What, what what advice do you give, you know, students or anyone who's wanting to you know, advance their product, their sales, but you know what, whatever it is that they're doing, what what's what's kind of your main kernel?
1: Yeah, let me throw three or four things out if you don't mind. Uh, first thing I would say is uh, learn how to sell. I don't care what you're doing in life. If you're running a political campaign, if you're setting up a nonprofit, if you're a minister of a church, you, you got to sell something. You're selling an idea, and which means you got to learn how to listen. Hmm. So I would say develop your listening skills and asking questions. Uh, you can ask questions uh, that open up just totally pivot conversations and really uncover the gold of what's going on in a person's life, in an organization, in a political party or whatever else. Ask great questions. That's one of the secrets of success for anything. Ask great questions. So if you hear somebody ask a great question, write it down. If, If you read a great question, write it down. Constantly think about what question can I ask that will peel that onion back and really lay that thing open to solve the problem. Ask great questions. By the way that's something our political leaders are not doing in both parties today. They that's all t- sure. they're all blabbing, they're all talking, they're all running their mouth. Listen. Sit down and have conversations with people. It's fascinating. Hmm. Uh and by the way, that that's across generations. There's an entire generation of Americans, the greatest generation that are passing off the scene. If you know somebody in your life that's in their 80s and 90s, go sit down with them and ask questions. Pick their brain. So um, I would say learn how to sell. The second thing is, is I would say uh, I don't wait for everything to be perfect. Mm. There's a there's a whole generation of people that are afraid of making a mistake. Make your mistakes fast. Get out there, get them over with. You know, very few of them you're going to die from. Right. You know what I'm saying. Get out there and skin your knees a little bit, skin your elbows, uh, make, make mistakes. The other thing is don't buy into, if you're starting a business, don't buy into this idea of raising capital is going to magically solve everything. In fact, one of the things I'm noticing in the startup community, I'm going to drop a word here I'm to drop a bomb on the startup community here. Most of these startups have too much money. And they're like, what are you talking about, man? We're stra—we're struggling, we're trying to... No, no, most of them have too much money because when they get too much money given to them, they quit being focused, Yeah, they quit listening. They, they bounce they- around to the next shiny object. Absolutely. So when I'm starting a venture, I give a very defined runway. Here's your runway, and I'm not guaranteeing I'm gonna put another penny into it. So you gotta get this thing off the ground, you gotta get a lift, and there's a mountain out there don't hit it so i would say don't wait till you got a pile of cash get started get out there start having conversations with people
0: it's yeah. great advice the it, and it, it what worries me about what you said about having, having too much money is it's, that problem's probably going to get worse oh, there's yeah. so much money sloshing around yeah you know covid you know there was a lot of wealth built through COVID and, on uh, a number of people. And there's gotta be, you know, they're looking for places to put it. And so I think there's gonna be a lot of overfunded startups that are gonna eventually crash and burn. That's cause, exactly cause right. Because they won't be able to get that focus.
1: Yeah, they lose the discipline. They lose that menta- that leaning in, that mentality that says, we gotta get after it today. Where's my next deal coming from? Where's that cash? I mean, there were times in the building of Odyssey where where I sat around the table with seven, eight other people and realized if I don't go close that deal today, collect a check and the check clear the bank, (laughs) then I'm going to have to tell these people, I'm not sure you're going to have payroll on Friday. You're talking about pressure, but you know what? That's what made us. It's what made us tight and tough. Yeah as a team
0: well and I've I've gone through that in my own business Um, there's been times of massive you know amount of of positivity and 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 growth and then other times where it's like I need to pull back on my paycheck to make sure that the rest of the team gets their paycheck yeah it's there's there's definitely been those moments for me Um, and it's a it's humbling but the the point is, is that it It keeps you pretty focused Mm -hmm. i mean i'm laser focused on trying to get the next deal done so what uh what was the question alex that we asked frank it was the three things or Uh, i want to ask that kevin yeah it's uh three it's like your three truths you know like that if you want to like leave behind leave the world some advice like three truths about life oh three truths about life so you this, this is your last day, Then you've got three truths of, of life. Wow.
1: That's deep, man. It's Coming from this guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the deepest thinker in the room is, yeah, is it's our it's recording our Alex. voices.
1: <laughs> I can't take from other podcasts. I w- okay. I'm gonna, boy, I've never been asked that. That's a great question. I wish I'd put I wish i had more th- more time to wait. I'm gonna give you some, I'm gonna riff a little bit. Riffing's good too. I would say be curious. Hmm. Everybody knows something I don't know. Everybody's been somewhere I've never been. So if I'll engage them in conversation, I could learn something today. So I would say be curious. Love that in sales, it comes out in, there's always a statement behind the statement when a customer makes a statement to you, what do they really say when a customer asks you a question, what is they? What are they really asking? You know, somebody says, I don't have the money. Okay. Are we talking about you don't have the money in hand or there's a timing issue? It's the budget or the time, you know? So what is the thing? So I'd say, be curious. Number two, be generous or be, be grateful, be grateful, uh, appreciate what other people, the sacrifices other people have made and are making, you know, we got mother's day coming up and, uh, bear Bryant. There's a, there's a YouTube video of bear Bryant talking to all the freshman boys in the football team. And he ends with, and boys call your mama. And I think that's a great, that's a, <laughs> get incredible. Yeah. It's incredible insight. Call your mama. I uh, I would say be grateful and, and, uh, Golly, our mothers don't get a lot of, you know, they're behind the scenes a lot of time doing, making their family run and stuff. Be generous, be grateful. Um, The third thing I would say, think big. Hmm. Each of us come with natural confines on who we are and what we expect of ourselves. Think big. The world's a big place. And if in the entrepreneurship, if you solve a small problem, you get paid small. If you solve a big problem, you get paid big.
0: Yeah, that's a great point.
1: I don't know if I added anything to the universe there with that or not. No, I, that was fantastic. <laughs> I I, that, I love, it. love I, it. I really
2: appreciate your, I mean, your message about perseverance. Mm. Um, not just about gratitude, but about perseverance. I think it's really difficult to teach. Mm. It's it's a life lesson. It's it's a life lesson of never wanting to give up, no matter what. And and what's really interesting is that you have this you know you have boxing gloves. Um, to to teach that a little bit. Yeah. And one of my one of my favorite movies of all time is Rocky Balboa. Mm. And there's a scene in Rocky Balboa. It's almost cliche, now, where he's stepping back in the ring and his son doesn't want him to step in the ring. And his son asks him, don't you, know, do you, do you know how this looks? Don't you know how this makes me feel? And, he, and, he, and, and the long and the short of it is, you know, at some point you've got to decide, you know, to stop worrying about those things and mm-hmm. s- start wanting to persevere for yourself and go out and get what, you know, that the world's going to beat you down and it's going to keep you there. Well, as you say? It's not how hard, you know, you get hit. It's how you can take the hits and keep moving forward.
1: Get back up off the ground. Get off off the mat. You're gonna keep get hit. Forward. Get up off the ground. Get up. So
2: that that that's what that spoke to me, and and I totally appreciate that about you and about working around you, because mm, I see thank it. You. I see that you're teaching that in these kids, and and they're responding to it. And it's mm. neat to see mm. because that that lesson is not an easy one. Mm-hmm and it's not taught well.
0: Well, and thank you for taking the time. This has been fantastic. Mm. Um, you've got so much to offer. Um, we'll, we'll probably want you to come back if you're willing because I just feel like there be, we've only peeled back the first layer or so. Yeah, I have a lot more questions apple. now. <laughs> <laughs> in my office right next to you. <laughs> but,
2: but we um, appreciate
0: it.
1: But oh, where, where, where can our listeners find you? I go to well you know email or sell what or just, well, just just your website we- the website go to branch49.com and you'll see what we're up to uh or youngblood.works uh, we're building a family of companies and uh yeah we're very excited about taking these students and and uh building a pipeline of talent a pipeline of students that learn how to sell uh top of the funnel then full stack and then ultimately they're ready to drive their you know they're ready to drive the car they want to have their own company we'll pitch them the keys and all right kid don't wreck this thing so
2: (laughs) off they go (laughs) that's great well kevin thanks so much for being with us and god bless you you. thank Thank you.
1: you